Just a reminder, you can get ad-free episodes of The Incomparable and so many bonuses by going to theincomparable.com slash members and signing up. The Incomparable, number 648, January 2023. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And we're we're uh, we're convening our book club. You know, our first episode was about the book club, and I feel like we haven't been doing enough of the book club because we've been doing like the the, the award winning shortlist books, and then not a lot else. And so, uh, one of those New Year's resolution kind of things, we're gonna do more book club, and we're gonna actually communicate what our next book is. Uh, not not this time. Well, I mean, we'll we'll communicate that now. Our next book is going to be the Scalamance trilogy by Naomi Novik, and <laughs> right we're going to cover and we're going to cover those books now. But at the end of the episode, we'll tell you what the book is we're going to cover next time, and you'll have more warning than none. How about that? Uh, joining me in this edition of the book club to talk about Naomi Novik's Scalamance trilogy, which just concluded with the Golden Enclaves, are these four wonderful people: Aline Sims. Hello. Hello. Glenn Fleischman, robot ro- roll call, something like that. Uh, will there be a test? Is my question. Yes. Okay, I'm ready. But you have to give the test. Oh. So work on your questions while we okay, go. I'm uh, working. Erica Ensign is also here. Hello. I was told there would be no tests, or at least no teachers. Glenn, extend on the ST. Uh oh. <laughs> it's a, but we'll still do it. It'll be a pop quiz. Okay. <gasps> Don't tell Erica. Don't tell anybody. Don't and tell anybody. Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Uh, hi, if I haven't been on a podcast in a while, it's because I've been locked in an extra dimensional school for the last three years. So oh. just FYI. <laughs> it happens. I mean, yep. baby Nancy. To the it's best routine. of us and it's the worst routine. of us. So we've talked about Naomi Novik's books before. Um, some of these books have been nominated for awards. Uh, she's written other award nominated books. Um, but this series, th- okay, the elevator pitch for this series is basically like. Harry Potter, but way, but the school is way more murdery. Trying to kill you, yes. <laughs> isn't that the pitch? Essentially, in a murdery school. Well, the school isn't trying to kill. Okay, that's a spoiler. Um, that's all. Yeah. I yeah, lots of magic, lots of dark things happening. A very snarky protagonist. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um. Yeah, Elaine's building is clearly taller than Jason's. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I mean, Harry Potter. The the conceit is you're going to go to this school and you're going to learn to protect yourself and everything will be okay, kids. Occasionally things go wrong, and this is you're on your own, kiddos, and God knows, God save your souls. Yeah, I mean, survival of the fittest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to run sort of the gauntlet. Horrifying. Basically, I tried to just explain to somebody uh, with on a on a podcast where I said basically. Imagine that it's like magic high school and you're thinking it's like Harry Potter, but it's just high school age. And and I said, and, and just imagine that, that, you know, several hundred kids go in and almost all of them die. Several dozen kids come out. <laughs> and that's the brutality of the Scalamans. We sort of saw one iteration of this with the magicians, uh, the books and the TV series where 
Uh, it wasn't supposed to be super deadly, but it was kind of like, this is all risky stuff. Magic's dangerous. There's all these other creatures. Who knows? And this just goes, I mean, it goes straight in. It's kind of, you know, as as um, some of us are parents on this show, <laughs> we're kind of like when you read stuff about children being endangered, I think everyone has a fear about it, but you may have a little more identification where it's like, uh, uh, oh, they're sending their children off to a place that they probably, you know, the odds are without uh, them having high social status and other things, uh, you're never going to see your kids again. And that's, uh, that is high stakes to start a series off with. And also the whole point of them going in the school is they have a better chance for survival mm. in the school than out of it. Yeah. And yeah. I think what Aline started off with is also an important factor when thinking ab about this. And that's the, th the way that the story is told to us is through the protagonist, through the main character. And like one of the very first lines of the book is how she has decided she needs to, to murder this other student because he saved her life. And that is not cool. <laughs> and that's, I just, I, I love that sort of starting you off on the back foot, like, wait, you need to what now? And because why? And the, the sort of the rollout of the information about the school and why it's so deadly and what the point of it and all that kind of stuff is, is all told through the eyes of a really, uh, as Aline said, snarky, but also just just unhappy, <laughs> very lonely teenager who is angry more than anything else, just angry at the world. And I will say that it took me a little while to get into the book. I liked the I liked all of the stuff that we were saying at first about the school and the deadliness and that, but I had trouble with the protagonist actually to start with simply because she was so angry at the world. And that is like, I have left those days so far behind. Mm. I don't really remember them anymore. So um, if, if that sounds like your thing, this book is for you. If you like the, you know, angry at the world sort of uh, thing, this is great. And if it's not for you, don't be put off by that stick with it it is absolutely worth sticking with it until you kind of like slide in it's it's funny erica because i had the exact opposite in some ways just because i i think the protagonist's voice really sold it for me in some ways <laughs> because i felt like going in it felt like okay you know it's a school with people or you know kids learning magic yeah like we've said harry potter any number of other tropes and i was like well what what makes this interesting like why do i want to read another story about teenagers in a magic school and i think for me the voice you know this is a it's a first person narrated book right so you really are in the main character's head and i think it's just a testament to novik's writing that despite i'm with you i i'm not a person who's super into like the angry at the world protagonist but i think novik crafts the character so like there's so much nuance to her it's, it's not on. just that yeah. she's angry at the world but like She's justifiably angry. Yeah. At yeah. Yeah. And that's the reason why she's angry. Yeah. And, and you learn and more about is, that as you go too. Exactly. Right. Like is th that gets unfolded as the entire series goes along. But for me, I still found like it was, it was a refreshing kind of weird, like expectation. Like this is a person who is here, but is not super jazzed about being here, which is very much the opposite of like, Oh, I get to go to a school and everybody's wizards. And instead it's like, Oh God, I got to hang out with all these jerks and they're terrible. And all the rich kids are the worst. And you're like, yeah, I, I think for me. And also, I mean, let's not, uh, just, uh, gloss over the fact that her name is Galadriel, Galadriel. which is yeah. Yeah, <laughs> one of my favorite little bits there. And she, of course, is not a big fan of that. Yeah, because her mom's like a hippie and she's super embarrassed by it. Yes. Did yep. uh, I love Naomi it. Novik go to prep school? Because I, I did not go to prep school, but I went to college with a lot of people went to prep school. And at some level, this sounds like just the way that Harry Potter is sort of uh, recapitulating the horribleness of English, uh, the 
boarding school system. Uh, this this feels a little more. I mean, she's not. I don't think she's American, right? I've forgotten. She's. Uh, I mean, no, she's she American. Is, yeah, she is. This yep. is. This does sound some of. This does echo some of the horribleness of the American prep school system, in which there's incredible <laughs> striation, class striation, and um, and uh, people are incredibly awful, and you will be eaten alive. It's just that you will, you know, basically not do well in your classes and won't get the fantastic <laughs> jobs that people get when they when they leave prep school and move on to life. Spoiler: This this series is a metaphor for a lot of things. <gasps> so, we're gonna, so speaking of spoilers, we're going to talk about this the this series generally to convince you all who are listening who haven't read them yet that you should read them because we like them a lot. Uh, but then we will also fire off the spoiler horn and talk about the trilogy as a whole. Um, I want to. So some of this is a spoiler, but I think some of it we can talk about up front, which is the setting of this. You've mentioned that there are a lot of class issues in here. And I think it's actually one of the things I love about a book like this is it takes a trope of the, again, it's the, oh, it's a, an amazing magical academy that we can all go to and learn. And instead casts it as this thing where the outside world is very dangerous and lots of monsters are going to eat anybody who has any magic at all. They will come and they will kill you and they will eat you. They're drawn to you. Your magic draws them to you and then they will kill you. But if you go into the Scalamance... Even though you'll probably die, if you don't die, you will come out a very successful magic user and be able to defend yourself. But it's not that simple because, of course, there's this class issue where there are very wealthy enclaves throughout the world who send their kids to the Scalamans. And those those rich kids have a leg up. Uh, rich in money, rich in magic, right? And then there are the kids who are kind of more at loose ends and and they can make their way in, but they are much worse off because on the inside, the kids also band together. And I just, I love that that is the, that is the world that we get. And of course, our, Galadriel, L, our mm-hmm. narrator is on the outside because her mom is like a, like I mean, she's not a nymph, but she's like a nature <laughs> granola nature forest yeah. witch. Yep. So she's as far out, and she's yes. famous. Yes, hedge witch, What's yeah. worse, she's famous, right? And so she is like the worst you could be as a parent to a kid who comes into the Scalamance. And so she is as outsidery an outsider as there could possibly be. Plus she's grumpy and disaffected. And so you really, that's one of the things I really love about it is that the world is not just, well, we're all thrown together. I guess we have to band together. It's like, no, it's not. The world is unfair (laughs) outside. It is unfair (laughs) inside. And our main character is at an amazing disadvantage from the very start of the book. And it's interesting, too, that one of the disadvantages that she has that you learn uh, pretty early on is the fact that she's actually incredibly powerful. And that, it turns out, is not necessarily such an advantage because, she, like, the spells that she can do are are too big and too powerful to be able to help her uh, succeed in the way that she needs to, to, like, just to pass her classes and stuff. So she's not really able to demonstrate that she is useful for any kind of alliance, um, you know, with her with her other school kids. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it changes the math again. I, I think it, she really built out this whole this whole system because I think it was uh, a quarter of the of each class generally a quarter of each class 
lives and everybody else dies. But if you're on the outside, it's way, way, way lower, like 10% or 9%, just something really low. Um, But it's one of those kind of cool things where it's like the statistics don't really tell you the whole story because as Jason was saying, the the math is completely squashed by the enclaves on the outside. Like nobody in an enclave is going to want their kid to to stick around and, um, you know, bring monsters into the enclave. That would be bad. Um, But if you're not in an enclave, your parents like really, really aren't going to want to try to protect you because there's just no way to be protected. But then you get into the school and yeah, then you have the whole class structure. So she's on the outside and she needs to make the math work for herself. And she's having trouble doing that in part because she's really good at what she does. It's a nice twist. Mm-hmm. We should talk about the, uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to talk about the thing that's talked about almost from the beginning, which is, you know, there's, you can kind of acquire good energy. I mean, this is a little yes. uh, Magic the Gathering-ish. There's good energy and there's bad energy. It's uh, mana, what's the, uh, I've forgotten the terms, Mal- Malia. Mal- and, Mal- Mal- Malia, yeah. Mal- Malia and uh, mana. Mana, that, mana. Yeah. yeah. So you've got those two opposites. I mean, you get the yin and yang thing and uh, she's really good at the Malia part. So good that you know, she is, I think this is very a dark early in prophecy the the indicates that she will yes. become a murderer of large, like <laughs> it's, it's like serious. She's got the dark prophecy hanging over that says you will use dark magic to destroy many yeah. things. She's like, and man, her, and she doesn't want to use dark magic that right. And her mother yep. is perfectly good. Her mother is pure ma- mana. And is, her mother is absolutely. And so she realizes, you know, she goes into this, she has the power she can't use, you know, this sort of uh, uh, impotence to use the greatest power one might have she's possibly you know and this is just at the start of the books we realize this and so the school uh distributes information the school runs the curriculum and so it keeps giving her these terrible spells these things where she's like oh if i use that i'd kill half the student body and and then the worst part is for her is she does not want to turn uh evil is that once you start to go down that path this is the the conceit of the book is if you uh move towards the malia side of things a, she would accumulate it so rapidly she'd become uncontrollable, essentially, like super powerful. And B, it would just destroy her soul. And she's not interested in that. She's got her mother as the example. And, and she's actively, constantly resisting this prophecy and trying to, as many difficulties as she may have with her mother, she understands her mother's right. And I think I think that makes, that's kind of what sells me on L as a protagonist, as per you know our earlier discussion is, yes, she is she is angry and she is snarky. But she's not evil, right? Like she's very explicitly, right. even though she has this prophecy, you would, I don't think, get very far in this book if she'd be like, yep, I'm evil, right? Like the whole yeah. thing about this is her <laughs> actively fighting against it. And as much as she talks around it, and like she never really comes out and says it, but like the whole thing is like, you know, she is good in trying to resist this. Like the fact that she, the very fact that she is trying not to do that tells us implicitly that she is good and that that is the, the sort of the the wedge into identifying with her is mm-hmm. that she's not interested in doing evil. She's interested in just, you know, surviving. But at the, at the core, I think she is a good person. And again, something that I think gets further explored as we go throughout the books. And there's, oh my God, there's so, I mean, there's so many interesting things to talk about this, but we'll have to wait for the spoiler horn. <laughs> 
Sorry. I think we should also talk about, like like I said at the beginning, she decides she wants to kill this other student whose name is Orion mm-hmm. uh, because he has saved her. And he is sort of another one of the main characters in the book because he is really, really good at killing monsters. Yes. And that's why she's annoyed because, you know, he's she could have just demonstrated how, how great she is, but she didn't get the chance to because Orion busted into her room and killed a thing and made him like a literal mess everywhere. And he is like... At, the first few pages, I thought he was uh, just like super jock of the year. Um, but as it goes on, you kind of learn that that's not his whole deal. And he is he's right. way more complicated of a character mm-hmm. than you think at first. And But they're set up to be like these polar opposites uh, at the beginning. And I am a sucker for a story, mm-hmm. especially a teenage like high school story, <laughs> where you have the two two characters who are set against each other and they are completely different. And then eventually they like grudgingly learn to come together and work work together and, and become a team. And that absolutely absolutely works for me i think oh, i yeah. think that balanced out really really well and helped me sort of get past a little bit of my you know she's so angry she's so angry as i could see her softening towards towards him uh it, it helped me soften towards her if that makes mm. sense mm. I, I mentioned the harry potter elevator pitch and i'll just say it orion is harry potter <laughs> Basically, orion right. is golden boy always does good kills all the monsters like all, all the monsters. That's all he does. That's his extracurricular at the Scalamance because they all do have classes. But his extracurricular is he finds and kills all the monsters and saves everybody in his class from being, uh, uh, well, not everybody, as many people as he can from being killed by the monsters. And when I say that, like the monsters, we should mention also the setting, like literally you have to be on guard at any point, at every point, even in the cafeteria, there's only some trays you can use because other trays have been colonized by monsters and they'll kill you if you try to get your food out of them and, and then, or look at the the vents or down that row of the library or behind that book. Like there is murder around every corner here, but (laughs) Orion Lake is the, he's, he's the big hero and it's more complicated than that. But, but having him be that and, and not our main character, but our, our kind of in opposition to our main character, uh, it, it's a great way to view that character, right? Cause, cause instead of it being, yay, our hero, it's like, oh, he's so annoying. Um, and again, yes, he's much more <laughs> yes. complicated than that, but that's a great way to introduce that character, right? It's like, he's the hero, but we, we don't like him because, you know, he's so bo- boring and annoying and like, why, why does he do it? He should get out of my way. I just love that. I, I love how she's playing with all of those sort of expectations that we've got. He doesn't get the fundamental uh, nature of the place they're in either. I mean, that's he's kind of uh, like ignoring how the place works. And again, I don't. This is not a spoiler because it's very early in the books where she explains. You know, look, you've got to basically build up power batteries across your four years here. So not only do you have to do all the classwork, not only do you have to defend yourself all the time, but you also have to be producing mana, or in some cases, some people have opted for Malia, because when it graduation comes, you need a vast amount of energy to protect yourself and band or, or work with other people in small teams to get yourself out of the graduation doors and survive. And so because Orion is so effective, he refuses to see that he's reducing the opportunity, not just for L, but other people to build up this power. And and that becomes a sticking point at many points in the novel that he um, is, you know, this compulsion to sort of kill all the monsters. And, and, and that's not you don't need a hero um, a lot of in the same way you do in other kinds of novels like this. 
Let me take a break and tell you about our sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by ExpressVPN. You probably heard by now you should be using a VPN when you connect to the internet, but adding an extra step to anything you do every day can sound like a hassle. Well, if you knew how easy it is to protect your connection with ExpressVPN, you'd be doing it already. ExpressVPN is the easiest way to browse safely, securely, and just better. I've used ExpressVPN on my iPad, especially. It's a it's a tap. That's it. It's so easy to use. And then all of my data is encrypted uh, through the wireless network, through the uh, cable network or whoever is providing the bandwidth in that area uh, over the internet, like the whole thing. It's it's great. It is exactly what you want with uh, no fuss because I just don't want to jump through hoops to turn on a VPN or anything else. ExpressVPN gets rid of all those things you hate about VPNs. It's a VPN done right. First of all, it's blazing fast. Lots of other VPNs slow your connection to the point where they're not even worth it to connect. But ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer. You can stream video in HD with no issues, and it couldn't be easier. Like I said, you open the ExpressVPN app, click one button. That's it. Enjoy instant protection across all your devices. Once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't even realize you have it on, but your connection is secure, your data is encrypted, and you can tell it where your location is so you have access to content available, perhaps outside your region or going back to your home region. No wonder it has been called the best VPN by CNET. Right now, go to ExpressVPN slash Snell, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Snell, S-N-E-L-L, my last name, to get three extra months of ExpressVPN, ExpressVPN dot com slash Snell. Thank you to ExpressVPN for their support of The Incomparable. We should talk about, like, so the, the, the premise of the classes, um... You get assigned, the school has a mind of its own, right? Like when I say that the school is trying to kill you, it's not like you go to the school and while you're doing your things, things try to kill you. That's not it. The school is kind of trying to kill you. The school has a mind of its own. The school is itself a magical construct. It is kept in um, a void uh, of like non-space. It's not part of the world. Everybody who goes there is locked out and can't go home. They're they're trapped there for their four years. Like if you ever feel trapped, felt like you were trapped in high school, well... (laughs) <laughs> metaphor like alert trapped they're actually trapped and the school yeah the school is basically trying to kill them and it down to the point where it uh, assigns you classes basically and and so it's it's the and there are no teachers uh which uh, again sets it apart from something like hogwarts there are no teachers they have to learn themselves but they're given various uh like their classrooms and there's magical things that happen, but they basically just have to do it and they have to figure it out and they have to submit their, their work. It's a kind of wild idea. And then of course, L our, our protagonist gets the worst of everything, right? She, she is the extreme <laughs> example where like her class assignments are the worst and her, her, uh, uh, all of those choices are, are, you know, she doesn't get the choice and the, the school's got it in for her, which was just saying something at a school that's really got it in for everybody. <laughs> um, but uh, despite that, she finds bonds, not just with Orion, but with others of her class, uh, other other classmates who are also sort of, some of them are out on the edge and some of them are parts of larger groups or enclavers. Um, and so you get over time, this kind of richness of the bonds that are formed and, you know, that the, there ends up being a small group of them who are working together by the time the first book has come, has come to an end. And it, it is, uh, it's nice in the sense that like in this worst yeah. possible environment, if we're, if we're really talking about uh, murderous magic high school as metaphor, um, she does kind of find her people 
to a certain degree as the story goes along, which I think is one of the charming things about it is like, it's not, she's not miserable for the whole book. She does very carefully, slowly with, you know, warily find people that she can connect with. It's kind of in this regard, at least like the anti Lord of the Flies, like Mm -hmm. If a bunch of kids are on a deserted island, they're going to turn to chaos and murder. Um, The opposite happens here where, like, not everybody gets along, but largely, for the most part, the kids aren't devolving into this chaotic society where they band in groups to kill one another. Um, There are, you know, definite power struggles and stuff, and it's definitely, like, every person for themselves. Um, like if someone is under attack from one of the monsters, they're called mouths. Um, you don't stop to help them. You save yourself, but also like, except for the, the, the wizards who turn evil, the Maleficers, like they're not killing each other. It's just like parallel tracks to survival with some vague alliances (laughs) until the end. Right. And we should talk. We should mention that graduation day basically is uh, you have to run the gauntlet of a room full of monsters. <laughs> yep. That's it. With your stored energy that you built up over over four years. And then you and your your pals will run the gauntlet. And if you're if you're uh, if you do it, uh, then you get to be out in the world. Congratulations. And if you don't, then you died at school. Oh, well. <laughs> yep. Oh, God, of all the places to die. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> cafeteria. Oh, no. Oh. I do think we should say, like, it's it's not a happy-go-lucky series, but it's no. also not graphic. Like, it, it's not dark, dark, dark. So if you're it's listening to us grim. talk and thinking, oh, my gosh, it's too grim, it's too... It's it's too depressing. I can't read this. I would encourage you to give it, give it a try because it's really... Novik does a really good job of taking something that could be really dark and depressing and making it not light, but definitely making it um, interesting and palatable rather than like grim and gross. And there are definite moments of humor, too. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Sure. This is this is cozy cozy death and murder like Agatha Christie. Yeah, or something. yeah it's, right. It's it's, it's you, <laughs> slightly you don't feel this. Yeah. yeah, I mean there are there are points in the novel that are really truly touching, but she reserves those moments. She doesn't you know put them so throughout so it's it's depressing or difficult read. It's a really I mean the whole series is a good read. Um, can I can I bring up something about like uh, this is a pre spoiler thing, but it's kind of I had some difficulty getting into it as well, but not for Erica's reason. Is it okay if I talk about something yeah. structurally? Sure. Well, so. I, I think uh, Jason and Aileen, maybe Eric also, uh, uh, you all recommended this book. And I love Naomi Novik. I've read many dragon books. I've read, uh, <laughs> I, well, I did lose dragon at some them, point. Yes. I think I've read, I read, all fa- of read five of them. And they're, what a what a great world. And Temerare, then, uh, right? J- J- yeah, yeah, Jason, I think you said uh, Spinning Silver. And I picked that uprooted up. Uprooted and, and up, Spinning up, Silver uprooted. are the ones that I read. Uh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Spitting silver, I think, is is slightly better, but that's not saying a lot because yep. Uprooted's great also, right? So I'm like, I'm a big fan of her work. I kind of get how she approaches these things with like a new take. And I started reading the first of the Scalamance books and I was like, oh my God, there's so much exposition. I'm having trouble getting through this. I like the character. I want more interaction. And I did feel, and I don't know if I'm unique in this among all of you readers, uh, that uh, maybe the first 30, 40% of the book, I felt I was getting a 
constant heavy exposition dump, a universe building, universe building thing. But I will say, I mean, I would love to know how other people felt about that, but I would say it pays off totally. And I did stick with it. And that's kind of the price I felt of admission. So I, again, I don't know if I'm unique feeling that way. <laughs> I was I the opposite. I... <laughs> I was I I I didn't like I said I had a little bit of trouble with the the protagonist herself mm. but I enjoyed the info dump world building and it didn't feel info dumpy to me I was just really interested in basically because it's first person going about her day with her and find like understanding what she's doing and because she is narrating it to herself to me to the reader whatever so i really enjoyed the i i felt like it was more of a journey of discovery than it was uh an info dump uh, of just like backstory and how the world works and and world building i i i enjoyed seeing what was new around every corner discovering the fact that there were no teachers i was like whoa how does that work oh there's a slot that you put your homework in oh but you got to be careful that there's not something going to pop out and kill you like all of those little things were incredibly delightful. And I felt like toward the end of the first book and even in in the second book, I was kind of like, I am a little bit sad that I'm not learning new things about this ridiculous school anymore. So I I definitely did not come at it in the the same way you did. Uh, but I will say that if 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 that sort of thing is off putting to you, then Glenn is right. It does it does eventually end, which for me was sad. Yeah, I mean info dumping I think is one of those things that's very in the eye of the beholder, because I do mm-hmm. think there's, you know, plenty of entertainment to be gotten from, as Eric is talking about, like just experiencing a world and, and like living in that. Um, but I know that it's also off-putting to some people who find it just like, Oh, there's all this stuff happening. Like what is, I just want to get back to the plot. So I, it didn't bother me. Cause I, I'm kind of on the Erica side here. I thought like the way that she experiences it, and especially I feel like there's a lot more leeway for a first person narration because it is, you know, it, it's always a weird thing because this person is talking to us, right? Mm-hmm. Even though we don't exist. Um, and so having that moment <laughs> of them like sort of just narrating this, I, you know, what they're going through in their day uh, to a uh, audience that is invisible. Like, I think that's, that's fine. I think it kind of works. So, um, but it is, it, it is also a testament again to how well Naomi Novik spent like the time that she spent building this world and creating it and making it feel of a piece. I think the setting is, I think we'd all agree is like one of the things that makes this book work so well is just it's fully fle- fleshed out. I feel uncomfortable saying that. <laughs> it's, fleshy. it's a very fleshy wait, story. Wait, none of us exist. Talk about spoilers. I'm, oh, I'm no. slightly disturbed by that. <laughs> what you're not constantly narrating your day to an invisible uh, person in your head? Is that just well, me? I have a oh, small yeah, child, am, so I do narrate my day. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm glad I'm glad mileage varies. I think I had the sense that she was telling us things she already knew and I found it slightly annoying. But again, the Naomi, I have the Naomi Novik uh, 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 love of her work that I knew I was going to get to the point where I, I didn't didn't bother me. And in retrospect, it's kind of like, um, oh, gosh, I mean, I've read other trilogies where I feel like the first book can be weak in partly because it's the first one being written or whatever. I don't feel this one was weak, but I think they have to front load stuff. And so yeah. by the time you read the 
whole trilogy and you see the whole arc, you're like, oh, this, you know, that was such a small part of the experience of reading these three books that I only looking at it far through the rearview mirror. But I, I bring it up because it might be something, if someone approached it the same way as I did, they might think like, does the exposition end? And the answer is yes, <laughs> it's worthwhile. And you might yeah. not feel that way. I, I'm with you, Glenn, actually a little bit. I, I, I didn't feel it like incredibly burdensome, but I can, if I search my memory, I absolutely feel like it starts out a little bit slow and then takes flight. And I think that that is maybe you, you just have to, there's, there's a little bit of a download and you have to get through it or in the case of Erica, enjoy it. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and then once your brain kind of like wraps its head around, wraps itself around, it's in your head, uh, what, what you're seeing, then it, it starts to make more sense. And I think it, the story picks up and then it just keeps flying through the rest of that book and two more. Uh, so it's kind of, I mean, it's definitely it's, worth it. It's a, and it's a fast read, I it think. Is. I mean, I burned yeah. through. It's not a short book, but I burned through it because it's the it's so conversational and so like yeah, its prose is so easy to read. Like you really do find yourself just being. I gave this to my wife because I thought she would enjoy it, and she read like all three of them in like I don't know, like four days. Yeah, or something. it was ridiculous. <laughs> I believe it. The opposite of this is I always talk about Nine Fox Gambit. I feel like on this <laughs> club episodes because Second the opposite best book with Gambit in the title. Fine. <laughs> the opposite of something where you get a lot of like front loading of knowledge is something like Nine Fox Gambit where you feel like you're just completely insane. <laughs> like <laughs> it in no way matches any kind of universe or framework or framework of magic that you're used mm. to. And while I don't object to novels that, that challenge me and in the end, I've really loved nine Fox Gambit and its sequels, but like, those books can be so hard to read. Yes. And, you know, like this is just, oh, like, you know, like everyone else has said, you just kind of slide right into it because it's conversational. It, I mean, it's a YA novel, so it's not necessarily meant to yes. be like mind bending, challenging. I, I wanted but... to mention that label. Because why, like YA is really squishy, right? Like I, I've definitely yeah. heard r writers who've said, you know, the the difference between YA and adult is often just is there sex a in why? it? No. Yeah, yeah. I or mean, marketing. marketing. It, well, yeah. I mean, it is marketing, and also like there's certain things that you probably can't put in YA. Explicit sex is probably the big one. Um, you can otherwise it is marketing, but I would say it's also from an author's perspective, a target market, a tar target audience. And Naomi Novik is targeting this at a, I think at a YA level. Um, what that means is that, yes, she is, she is not trying to frustrate and anger the readers. Like maybe you and Ali was a little bit. It's like if you're writing an adult novel, your the implication is you have to be frustrated. You, or you can, readers. right? You, I, I would say you can, on, yeah. you can put it on hard yeah. mode and say like, try this suckers. Uh, this God, one doesn't do that. Sucks. Come on. It's bad. It's hard enough as it is. Give us a, give it's, us a break. It's some, you don't have to. I'm just saying it's optional, right? But okay. she's not going okay. for that here. And, and when we were talking about the violence and stuff, I think that's the same thing. Thing, right is like this is a this is not the punk rock uh we're you know we're gonna blow or the heavy metal we're gonna blow everybody's minds and and make the in fact the magicians is much more of that uh mm -hmm. in terms of like take that harry potter than this is even though there's a lot of darkness in here and there's a lot of of interesting difficult stuff it's just not 
that brutal. It's not that severe. It's not that kind of book. And I think that's why it makes sense that it was nominated for a bunch of YA awards, because that's the thing about it that makes me say, okay, I can see why this is YA, even though I, you know, I I didn't read it figuring like, oh, I'm reading a book that's meant for teens. It's not how YA really works anyway. No. But it is, she, she's, she's not trying to play any of those games that might be on the like uh super hard mode uh to make everybody work for it like it's 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 stepped back from that so if if you're feeling intimidated about all of this definitely don't oh yeah i mean if it, i think it's so neatly it yeah it's funny when you, uh, we were thinking about that before the episode started about how this is a YA novel but it doesn't it doesn't pander to younger people and it doesn't lack the sophistication and nuance uh, and foreshadowing and all the other good literary stuff that people who have read a bazillion novels like. So I think it, it's, it's, I don't know, I don't think it's rare. Uh, I think there's a lot of good YA fiction, but I don't feel it doesn't have the sense of it. Yeah. It doesn't have the sense of it having suffered by being in that category. And one other topic before we uh, blow the spoiler horn any of you have other topics, we can get them out now. Um, but I just wanted to mention another thing about this book that I appreciated is that, again, in contrast to something like Harry Potter or or I think The Magicians, The Scholomance is, um, is, first off, it's not anywhere, right? It's not in England or the U.S. or It's, it's nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. But the attendees of The Scholomance are from all over the world. It is a truly international school with multiple languages and cultures reflected in not only the the student body, but in what is taught. And um, and and therefore it's got a level of diversity and and realism about like the whole world. And like instead of it being like, well, wait a second, if all this magic is happening in England, what about the rest of the world? It's like, no, no, no. This is about the whole world. And then uh, as a, a little footnote to that, I'll also mention that one of the things that is interesting about our protagonist, Galadriel, we've talked about her mom. Um, she is mixed race. She is from a, a child of two cultures because her mom is in a forest in Wales, uh, but yes. her dad is from India and he died tragically. We hear about more of that as it goes. Uh, his his parents or his family are the ones who did the the dark, dark, destructive uh, wizard prophecy about Galadriel, which has really, you know, gotten Hilarious. her down. <laughs> and and uh, so that's part of this too. Is like there are lots of different cultures, including right in our protagonist, lots of different cultures with different ideas and different uh, uh, takes on the aspects of of. Uh, magic and it's all just in the story and that is something that often gets left out of a fable about a magic school let's say where it's pretty homogenous within certain rule sets and that's not the case for the scholomans i will i will tag onto that and just say that the the one thing that i wanted to mention before the spoiler horn is uh about how jason you obliquely mentioned earlier just that uh that she sort of finds her people and that is another aspect of the you know typical high school YA novel that i quite like uh is is an outcast finding finding their their folks um and and I I like the fact that not only does she do that, but the people that she finds are not all like her. The uh, the people that sort of become her her crew 
mm. are from vastly different parts of the world, speak multiple different languages and have like very, very different backgrounds. And I, I, I quite appreciated that as a as an adjunct to the fact that, yes, she's she's learning. She's getting some friends, but she's getting interesting friends and they become her friends for interesting reasons. And mm. I shall say no more. Yeah, it's not it's not a namby pamby kind of like, oh, I really like you now and we're buddies. It's a really nuanced mix of like I hate you less than everybody else. Yeah, but that's great. I think that's great storytelling because when they eventually, you know, buy the third book, no spoilers, the the connection yet yeah, the connections they make are they feel so much more profound than instant friendship. Oh, we were on a train yeah. we're on a train car together. Now we're friends for the next the rest of our yeah. lives and we get married. Um, I wanted to say something hilariously stupid. Let me just say it, which is I watched <laughs> free guy on a plane recently and talking about this book, I realized the plot of free guy and some elements of this series are not that dissimilar. That's all I want to say. It's you're not, I'm not, you're not wrong. wrong, Glenn. And that scares me. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like, scratching wow. my head, but you're not wrong. Um, all right. We're going to fire off the spoiler horn now. If we haven't convinced you already that you should read these books, then you should. And if you have read them or you're one of those monsters who uh, doesn't care. Just, yeah, just keep just, listening. Then, just keep monster. listening. Then just keep listening. The spoiler horn is a sign that you're <laughs> committing a transgressive <laughs> act. Anyway, here's the That's spoiler right. horn. <laughs> One of the things that I love about this series, and we are spoiling everything now, right? It's not just book one. It's yes. all, all three books. One of the things yes. I love about the series, and, and I was I was taken back to the uh, the the fairy noir books that I can't remember their names now. The L.A. Oh, with the, the Michelle Borderland? Baker Bo Borderline Arcadia Borderline. Project. Borderline yes. Arcadia Project. Okay. One of the mm. things I love about that series is that it introduces a lot of magic, and then in the second book it really starts undercutting your assumptions about what's going on and saying, yeah. oh, all that magic you you loved in book one, it's the process, it's the product of a messed up culture that it's exploiting uh, magic beings and you should feel bad about it. And what I love about it is like, you get the sense that this world is unfair in book one and book two, right? Like it's unfair, mm -hmm. the, they're the rich kids and all that. But I so admire Golden Enclaves, the third book, yes. which I would I would say this is the rare series that I felt got better as it went. And I think Golden Enclaves was the best of the three of them. But one of the reasons I feel that way is because you get out into the world and you're like, it's not going to be as good outside of the Scholomance. And instead, it's like, oh, my God, it is. It does that thing where it's like, I'm now going to interrogate everything you've seen in the last two books and show you why basically why it's capitalism and capitalism is bad. I mean, yes. it's kind of what it is, yeah. right? Yes. Which is 100%. like, it, it is the, the hoarding the magical capital and keeping for themselves and how it has this incredibly deleterious effect on the rest of the world. And like, she has built this structure that is, it is so perfectly built. And then in the last book, it's like, she just gets out a sledgehammer Knocks and she it smashes yeah. it yeah. down. It's so good to, I, I love seeing the creator of the thing then immediately start like critiquing her own world building and saying, 
no, <laughs> this isn't good. This is actually incredibly evil, and I'll tell you why. Like, like, and it's magic, so it's literally evil. It's so the good. Ma- yeah, the Mawmath thing we didn't talk pre-spoiler because right. I think it's a pretty big spoiler. But I'm like, mm-hmm. it's you know, it starts. That's a hor- like, it starts a little cartoony, right? She she sets it up so neatly. You're like, oh, there are these terrible things, and the, and the deaths are sort of you know yeah. cozy deaths or it's off, like, whatever. It's like the- Harry Potter <laughs> killing a killing a big monster yeah. in like in one of those books, right? The kill- when she kills the Mawmath, it's like, oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good and for then you. you're like, oh, well, these people are being tortured forever, and her father is alive, uh-huh. and st- and they oh, this is really bad. And then in book three. I mean, I I am trying to think of the last book in which I practically screamed aloud, and mm. also at different mm. points, like when when her when uh, uh, Orion's mother is revealed as a maleficer, maleficer, she, maleficer. Um, maleficer, she my I my skin ran cold, my blood ran cold, and uh-huh. I had goosebumps. All I was I felt like a you know someone had just walked on my grave, and I was yeah. like, oh, this mm-hmm. is amazing. Yeah, you know how I said that I had trouble with the main character a little bit at first because she was so angry? I yeah. turned into that during this book. I was <laughs> yeah. so mad. Like, not yeah. at the writer. Like, uh, this is so, it's, yeah. it's just so well done. I was so mad at the the magic capitalists in this world who had <laughs> built this and made these choices and done these things. And, you know, it's supposed to be this beautiful love story between Elle and Orion. And he's a freaking human mouth. And how dare you? And the, what? Oh, there was so many moments where I also wanted to scream and like throw the book, but out of how much I loved why I was being I made so mad, it was so good. Well, it's fascinating because it is, I sort of alluded to this in our pre-spoiler conversation, but when we're talking about Elle being, you know, she's wrapped in all this stuff that has to do about like, you know, like her evil prophecies and everything like that, but we know at heart she is a good person. Mm-hmm. And Orion is the... Uh, not quite the opposite, but he's the inverse, right? Like he is this person who outwardly is good and is the hero and everything, but he is built on a core of basically evil. Um, and I think again, it's a, it's a, you know, goes to this sort of opposites uh, attract part of this book, which is these sure. two characters who are totally unlike and yet somehow are somehow very similar. I saw some people that I knew who did not who thought the third book was weaker and I just I, hmm. I don't didn't get it quite it's get behind different. it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I it is I, different. It is very different and it's a little more I don't want to say preachy because I don't think it's preachy, but it is concerned as exactly as Jason said with like sort of the big implications of that, right? It's sort of ra- everything ramps up because it's like imagine you, you know, the first two books take take place in this little self-contained vacuum and now we're going to transpose everything we learned onto the world at large yeah. and realize like it is maybe the moment where you're like Oh, I, I see. This is about our world, really, actually, isn't it? Right? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've i read the entire series through twice now. Um, and the first time I read The Golden Enclaves, I kind of sat there and thought, I don't know how I feel about this. I didn't mm-hmm. dislike it, but I also didn't like it. And listening mm. to it... The second time, um, which was yesterday and today, um, <laughs> I I I rec- I realized that the reason why it's harder for me is kind of because of Glenn, what you brought up just a couple minutes ago. It's not info dumpy, but it's a lot of in Elle's head. It's a lot of Elle mm. writing in a journal about her feelings and working through 
what is actually happening. And it's a lot of telling. There's a lot of telling in this book, whereas the first two books had kind of more action and we were shown things happening. In The Golden Enclaves, it's a lot of like Elle reaching conclusions and kind of showing her work to getting there. And so tonally, I think it's not vastly different, but it does feel different just because the structure dictates that Elle reason this out. She can't be told any of this um, for reasons because, you know. Um, I mean, why would anybody tell her? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it does make sense. people basically sign a, a magical NDA that prevents them from telling. <laughs> uh, Literally. But like, um, I, I, I think that's, that for me was the struggle. I can't speak to other people who um, don't like the third book. I, the second time reading it today, I'm like, oh yeah, it's really, really good. But when you go into it expecting it to be something similar to mm-hmm. the first two, I think that that's the that's the hang up that people have. I had the same. I had the same hang up. I, I. I think it's a very good book. It is not my favorite of the three, though. My, my oh, favorite interesting. is the first one because yeah, I, I agree. liked I liked being in her head. I liked the discovery. I liked the school thing. Like I, you know, the the elevator pitch as it was sold to me was, you know, Hogwarts, but the school's trying to kill you. And that's Don't what I had sort of settled. School, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> I had settled sort of settled in for that. And even the second <laughs> book is still in the, in the school. And I think the school is for me the heart of what I really, really loved about the series the most and i well, they i do feel get like back it was actually the school in the third book right but it's not all yes. about the not school quite the yeah i feel like the it was very bold to you know have them graduate at the end of the second book and then of course you have to tell the story differently it has to be structured differently it has to cover different things because like that's kind of that's what happens in life when you graduate another metaphor um and and i do think that she did a great job of making me angry and structuring it in a way that made it make sense to discover the world along with the main character but because it was such a hard shift and and just like a sharp left turn from what I had gotten used to. It was, I would, I didn't read it twice, but I read it through the first time and I was impressed, but I didn't love it. And it was actually just thinking about it and then talking about it sometimes like with you guys on Slack and, and other people that really gave me a, a greater, um, appreciation for just what she did and how impressive it was but i still say that that first book is my favorite and golden on clay is is my least i get it i get it i mean especially if you really love that world for me it was the it's yeah. that unfolding moment that i i loved and the idea that like okay for example we are set up in the very first book with l's prophecy right mm-hmm. she's going to become a dark wizard and kill a lot of people and i from the beginning i thought okay this is going to end in a tragic thing where she makes a mistake and, and you know, we're, that's, that's part of the story and maybe she'll come back from it or not, or maybe there's a tragic ending. And as the story went along, I'm like, or maybe we're not understanding it quite right. I, I kind of held out hope, but it was also like, I don't know. I think that she's going to have to make a turn at some point and then come back from it. Right. That was what I kept thinking. The twist when it comes in book three, that was the moment. Maybe this is the moment that, that Glenn screamed aloud, not just that her, that Orion's mom is a maleficer, uh, but that 
there's that moment where she f- puts it all together yeah. and she says, oh, I know that I, I know now who is going to kill the next enclave mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Right. it's yep. me because I'm killing the maw mouths. And it's yeah. in that moment where she is doing this good thing of killing these monsters, the maw mouths, but has realized that, again, looking for some metaphors, looking for some parallels here, the foundations of all of the rich cities of of, of wizards in this world are built on murder. <laughs> Amazing. Mm, interesting. Uh, and then when she kills the mom mouth, that's what's causing the collapse of these magical enclaves throughout the world. Um, and, and, and it's that moment where she realizes, oh, I it, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me, right? Like it's like <laughs> and I'm, she did I'm it the one for who's the first time this. in a previous book, which was a very yes. nice yeah. t- like right? twist because I was like, oh my god, all of those people that I felt so yeah. bad for, she killed them all when she killed the mouth right. uh, that exactly. had left where and the then, thing it, was found. It becomes yeah. this mystery too, right? They're like, oh, this enclave got hit, and we who don't know it? who did it, right? Like, yeah, yep. and, and that the whole thing is. They spend so much time trying to spin that out. I, I have to say again, like I didn't, I, I sometimes am good at finding plot twists before they come, but I'm not nearly as good as my wife who's just reading this. She's like, yeah, there's something weird about this kid, Orion. Oh, man. And I'm pretty sure yeah. the mom house or something. I was like, oh man, I did not get any of that. Wow. I was just living in the moment. Yeah. I've got a new grand unified theory of science fiction and fantasy to present to you all. Oh, uh, hit me oh, glad. No. Let me take some notes. <laughs> this, this is along my lines of every sci-fi fantasy book has the long trek across the barren waste. Mm-hmm. thing which is proven nearly <laughs> true in almost 100% of the cases. Dan, I haven't checked your books yet. But this isn't quite as broad, but it's the it's the ones who walk away from Omelas theory, which is the heart mm. of so much science fiction fantasy is that because oh my god, it's our world after all, there's some horrible thing at the center. It's like we're yeah. um you know uh mm. uh uh, the, the space whale and Doctor Who and uh, the Star early Lamp. Amy episodes, like, oh my God, you have to forget that our entire nation of Britain is on the back of a space whale that's being tortured. Star whale, sorry, star whale. <laughs> he made the generic, whale. generic space whale, of which the star whale is one of the kinds. <laughs> but I'm like, this is like yeah. it hit me. It's our, oh, it's not, our society is built on a fundamental original par- sin, right? Yeah, parable I mean the lottery, of the I mean, sower, right? It, like, yeah, yeah. It, it totally makes sense. Like, it's not obviously not an original idea, and it happens in non-speculative work as well. But, but I think it's. Um, I don't think I realized this novel. Like the ones who walk away from Omelas is the purest distillation of it right it's like this tiny nugget you read the story and you remember it for the rest of your life because it is this incredible you know metaphor and it's also like presented in a very concrete way and this is a really great rendition of it where it's like oh my god this is omelas times whatever it's like everybody but but it's a little bit like uh in like the expanse series spoilers for expanse maybe that people get their parts of their brain like the moral part of their brain turned off and the ways in which people in both our world and in science fiction speculative fantasy worlds and so forth that they figure out a way to avoid paying the moral cost and i thought she did a wonderful job in showing how carefully this world had constructed this seemingly great benefit for everybody else by preventing anyone else from really knowing or most people knowing what's going on and those who did from talking about yeah. it. And and that was a, a beautiful touch. Yeah, not, not I mean, absolutely true. Um, one of the things that I appreciated about it too is that she offers them an alternative, mm. but it's inconvenient. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's yep. another part of it, right? Which is like, I can fix this, right? I can I can shore up your enclave so it's not based on murders. <laughs> um but it's going to be harder and inconvenient. And and the response is sort of like, eh. Yeah, we eh. like killing children. It seems like a good plan and we've been doing it a long time. <laughs> Which is kind of nice. That Like, I love the fact that at the end, it's just sort of they, they, they don't really go, want to go along with her. But she is absolutely just going to keep on going and keep on killing the mama. Yeah. So she's, you know, she gives them warning, but not much warning. And, you know, that's, you've made your choice. It's like yeah. trying to argue with a nuke, right? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it doesn't matter, right? You it's can, good. you can say we, we oh no, we kind of like our system. It's like, no, oh, I'm, I'm going to explode everything. Yeah. Sorry. That's you don't, just the way it works. You don't get to, to stay in your system now. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry, magic capitalist. <laughs> so I would say that the 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 one of the issues I I mean like I look, I loved I loved the series and I loved that last book. I had a moment where I thought they're gonna create a a magical way for somehow, even though Orion is totally the opposition to her, even though he's an unwilling tool pawn in his mother's game, uh and and it seems like there really needs to be a heavy price paid here. Um, I appreciate how artfully Naomi Novik manages mm-hmm. to escape from that and find a way. I mean, Orion is is essentially killed, question mark, twice, but not killed. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, in the end, they find a way to have it be that, like, he's in the Scalamance and they shore up the Scalamance and, and uh, you know, and, and they, they're able to fix it. And I, I, as a reader, I was, like, so happy. I was like, oh, this is so nice. Mm-hmm. And part of me was like, it does feel kind of like she's getting away with something here yeah. but it's yep. so it's so nice and yet i'm like a price probably should be paid well, here I mean, and so much of the but so much of book three is about grief that i feel yeah. like it's kind of earned because she goes through the whole process of grieving you know even though she's she wants to get him out and wants to find out if he's still in there i think it's it's earned in the sense that like it's not easy it's not a snap your fingers thing she suffers for it and then even when they get him back, he's not right. And that is yeah. also like a depressing, like sad part where you're like, oh, he's there's you know something very wrong with this kid. And like it, it takes this a whole arc. And I think that for me, even though, it, you know, I you neglect the idea of like tapping, you know, tying everything up and having the happy ending, I think is is anathema in some ways. But at the same time, I'm glad it works out. And I, I feel like because there's so much. It doesn't feel like a cheat to me. I mean, I know what you're saying mm-hmm. in terms of it feels like a price should be paid, but I feel like that price is kind of paid, just not in a, you know, necessarily a permanent fashion. Yeah, it felt a little, I was going to say it's like, like when I, um, I think when we were doing Ready Player One, I said, and Monty and I both sort of said, look, this book panders to me, but it's sometimes it's nice to be pandered to. That's sort of how I feel about it, right? Which is like, there's a logic yep. part of my brain that's like, this is kind of, she's kind of cheating. But the rest of my brain is like, yeah, but it's nice. And it's a nice end to the story. And the, the poor the poor main character has been through so much. Give her this one. And and that was how I felt. I, I just wanted to mention that that, yes, part of me was like, wow. Isn't it nice that that every that it all turned out okay in the end? But <laughs> also the rest of my brain was like, yay, happy ending, hooray. I do yeah. think it's weird because it's like Orion's gonna live in the school during the term, so he's going to be the only adult with a bunch of high schoolers. Uh, which is like <laughs> hmm. 
I a fate worse than death, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> He's the chaperone. It's just I don't know. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it that to me didn't feel thought out. <laughs> like, I know uh-huh. it was because I don't believe that there's not much that Naomi Novik does that isn't thought out. But I was just like. Hmm. This people, is people this can is come. Weird. It's different at the end, though, right? Like that's can't, true. People come and go and stuff, so it's not it's not quite the same as it was as grim mm-hmm. as it was originally. And he at can, least at at this point, he himself is still kind of childlike in a true. way. So and and you know he ne- won't necessarily be forever, but I definitely see him overall as just this sort of strange, different character and i don't mean like character in a book like it like the way that you refer to a person that you know is like he's quite a character like he is that that just where's a weird guy (laughs) who's who's over there and like i i can't picture him interacting with the students like at all simply because that's just not a thing that he knows how to do so so for me him being the only adult in the school really never even occurred to me until you said that just now (laughs) and even after you say it it's just kind of like yeah but he's just going to be that weird guy in the basement like that's the guy wandering around like killing monsters he's he's been working out in the gym going to the library working out in the gym be like is that oh oh he's the laszlo character from real genius that's all Sure. It's just out of the yeah, I was going to say he's like room. a ghost who haunts the school. Ultimately, yeah. like they, he's only there when they need him. Otherwise, he's just kind of like a, a, a legend. He's like he's off in the corner of the of the gym. You know, you can find him under a tree from time to time. But it's more legendary. <laughs> the weird guy the students else. whisper about in the halls. That's right. That's right. He's legendary, but. We haven't talked about a lot of the side characters. You mentioned them generally, but I, I wanted to mention Liesel, who yeah. is a great oh, <laughs> kind of yeah. hilarious. Like, you usually don't get a character that brittle, but also accurate. I mean, she's kind of like Hermione plus plus, Hermione without humor or something. Yeah. Uh, and a German and accent. And much more so. And a German <laughs> accent. And her, her incredible efficiency, of course, stereotypical. And yet... Uh, L constantly has to remark like, oh my God, she, why does she have to be right all the time? Uh-huh. She's so annoying and being correct. And, and mercenary. Being mercenary. Yeah. Mercenary. Yeah. <laughs> Jinx. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think she's one of the best characters just because, you know, L, L always is suspicious. Like oh, she's got to have an ulterior motive or like there must be something else up her sleeve. And like at times, yes, but it's also she's very straightforward, I think, and very frank in mm-hmm. in in terms of what her agenda is. And I think like she's just yeah, I think your mercenary is a great word for it. Like she's just like, okay, this is how this is gonna get done. And you know, this is a tool to get this done. So let's just let's keep rolling with it because that's what's gotta happen. So they're not she's really nice alternate point. They're, they're not really ulterior motives, they're just motives. Right, yeah. exactly. Oh. Yeah, she is very transparent. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's a fun counterpoint to also to um, the other, uh, her other friends, um, you know, who are <laughs> the, she, the bond that we see her build with them over the course of the first book, right? You know, and getting to the end of the second book where she's basically organizing all the students, you know, and, and I think what's kind of fun about the third book when everybody gets out is... Having these, like, it's the moment where she realizes that she knows people in all these places and that they're kind of friends, yeah, right? Yeah. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, God, these guys have my number and they're calling me and they're asking for <laughs> help. <laughs> like, oh, oh God, we were friends at school, but I don't know. Are we still friends out of school? Like, all of that is just, I, it's kind of a delight. You know what? I'm 40 and I still do that. <laughs> just <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with that at all. 
Yeah, it's there's, there's some, uh, some truth in that. There's a lot of richness in here too. I love the in the third book. She kind of like has her detox moment at her mom's. She's back at her mom's, you know, in the woods with her mom's yeah. people in the yurt, and out and then they go out in the woods and they try to like do an exorcism on Orion at one point. Yes. And like, mm-hmm. I, I just, I love, I, I love that contrast between the, like, she really is as much of an outsider as you could possibly be, right? Like she's from the woods and everybody else is like in cities in these fancy uh, enclaves. And I just, I like a lot of that detail. I love their journey, their weird journey out of the one enclave where they have to go through the back door and they basically yeah. have to go through the, oh, yes. they have to go through the mm-hmm. unreality and the, the with Yancey. The, the, yeah. The yeah. hippies, hippies who were, who were super high them. Yeah. and they're the only <laughs> ones who can take them out of there and back into the real world again. Uh, that, like just, that was, that was a totally psychedelic trip, dude. I had just rewatched, uh, Neverwhere, the, the BBC series oh, and that, yeah, like that bit yeah. felt like, felt like Neverwhere, but, but, but extra trippy. Yeah. Yeah. No just a lot, of, a lot of, she had fun with like, like other corners of the world that we couldn't see when we were inside the Scalamance that she wanted to show us that, that mm-hmm. are important for the plot, but also, uh, just fun to have those to have those moments and see that and 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 the parents like the parents play a part but I think in one in the beautiful tradition of YA novels the parents never like in so many of uh, in so many of these kinds of stories you're like if they would just go to their parents they could take <laughs> care of it but instead they're like no no we're gonna investigate the dead body by the railroad tracks on our own and not call anybody right that's that's what that happens but here the parents are around and they're involved and some of them are are kind of monsters and some of them mm-hmm. are not but they're around and and i like that because you get that you get more of that realistic sense of like oh i get i get what why this person is like that and <laughs> that that's good stuff too and the parents are mostly just glad that their kids got out alive. Our life, yeah. And yeah. so, like, it's a true. lot of it is like, well, no matter what you're doing at this point, like, you're safe because you're past yeah. the age where the the Maleficaria are going to be after you. You're, you know, whatever that magic thing is that they're attracted to, they're less attracted to adult wizards. And so they're just like, all right, you know, like have fun jumping around the world without a plan, conning your way onto airplanes. It's going to be great. You know, it's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have fun storming the enclaves. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and take a miracle. Uh, um, yeah. And her, her other. Um, Reference acknowledged. Her other friend, um, the, the her non-German friend, the one who's like from America and she ends up at her. At her Adria. Odd- Adria. Yeah, and she Audrey, ends up at her family's house, and the, there's like the, the they're like feeding her, and the whole extended family is there, yeah. and there's this whole thing. Oh, that, so it's lovely. just so so charming because it's like she she's overwhelmed because there's so much family, and it's not something she had on the one side of the family, but not being raised with her mom, um, and that that and they're very they are like we're ha- I'm so glad you're not dead, right? They're very happy about that, and yet yeah, they're also yeah flying on airplanes, and they have secret magic 
boarding passes and whatever else. Like, yeah. Then there's the great grandmother. You have the Doctor Strange in uh, in Avengers moment where she's like, I had to say, I tried all the scenarios yes. and all of them were bad because my son is such a smart aleck. He would kill himself intentionally in the scenarios that would work out where otherwise he would live. So I had to do what I did because right. even in alternate, even in alternate futures, my son insisted on it happening this way. And I'm I was like, himself, that is. Yeah. That is new. I mean, that is a different thing. Like that's you know prophecies, man. They're no good. They'll mess you up. (laughs) (laughs) Dangerous thing. Yeah, yeah. No, that was. I mean, when you start with a prophecy right at the very beginning, and you're, I mean, it's done artfully. It's not like and then there was a prophecy in the beginning. It's she's like, yeah, I'm living down this prophecy. I don't want to be it to be true, so I'm just not going to do it. And by the end, you like it pays off. It's totally, I think, plays fair with the prophecy, and you see the result, and you actually go back to the person who did the prophecy, and she explains why, and it's just like, and she feels bad about it too. That is so nice. Yeah, but she had to do it, right? And she had to do it the way she had to do it, because if she tried to soften it, it wouldn't work. Yeah, everybody would die or it would just get worse. And so they were she was estranged from that part of her family because of that. But now she isn't at the end. It's nice. It's I'm okay with a happy ending too, Jason. it's funny. I was I did have that sense like I reached in the book and it's like, and everything is sorta okay. And I was like, (laughs) Yeah, well, everyone's been through a lot. Uh I think they've done enough. I think we're all right here. Yeah. They deserve something. I I think it's they front loaded. So here I guess the issue of like, should there be a price to pay? Both um Ryan and Elle had paid such a price in their lives and Elle's mother and Elle's great-grandmother. So many people had paid so many prices. I think front-loading the price is the issue. They'd gone through all this suffering that felt unnecessary, but turned out to be in order to it's reach like a like layaway. They, they put it on layaway. <laughs> layaway suffering. That's good. <laughs> uh, what else have we talked about that we should mention before we uh, before we move on? Anything? I just want to talk about the tools that they make. Like uh, one of the things that I liked so much about the school was like, you know, people are on different tracks. There's there's language people. There's shop class. Like I just love the idea <laughs> of taking the bits and pieces of the mouths that they kill uh, to put together mm, tools yeah. and instruments and like things to boost their power um, t- so that they can, you know, make it through graduation. And that's just the way the school and everybody operates is, you know, slowly building up your skills so that you can make things. And like it had a little bit of a feel of like a video game, like you're grinding mm-hmm. to get Crafting. the good stuff. Yes. And craft. Yep. And I was just like, yeah, I'm here for this. And I like that. I like that how they're all the tracks that they kind of know. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, they're doing. Oh, she's making an instrument because music is one way to do stuff, right? Like, you know, and everyone's like, yeah, music, that's a thing. <laughs> you can you can play it and uh, they maybe they won't bother you. And you've got your artificers and your different like, you know, majors or something almost. And so, yeah, I think it's another great example of how this world is so well constructed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love the, the geography of the school yes. and how they talk yeah. about how things like we talked a little bit about how the school has a mind of its own, but the explication for some of how that works is like, Oh, you got to go down this corridor because if you go down this corridor at the wrong time, you know, like the school knows or, um, Oh, the cafeteria, right? Like the food. You, you Here's the time you want to get to the cafeteria because if you go too late, you'll be alone and you'll get killed. But you don't want to be first in the cafeteria because it seems good, but then you'll also get eaten. Um, and then there's like the days where they get like, wasn't there like one day or something where they all get like actually like good food oh, or something? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. All of that together felt very, again, it's such a well put together, well realized world. 
when the book was describing how the school worked, because you the levels change, like the dorm rooms Mm -hmm. physically go down the building each year. And all I could picture was like the Game of Thrones opening huh. scene with all the clockwork <laughs> stuff. Did anyone else do that? Yeah, I, know, I, I just I know like had this mm-hmm. mental image of like Westeros or something <laughs> as it was happening. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm such a big fan of you know books that start with with that have maps, and I, I think in my ebook versions of this, the maps were were at the end. But there's there's maps of the school like three dimensional. <gasps> really? Yes. Yeah, I consulted them. They're complicated, but I think yeah, they are very complicated. But they're they're like out. she really really thought about it, and I yeah. I did not need them to understand the book. Like I did not look at them until I was done reading the first book. Um, so so I I mean I think it will be fun for you to look at it, but I don't necessarily think it's going to give you any information that you don't already have because mm. I think it was described. Yeah, well. I don't feel like I was missing out good on anything. Yeah, no, me neither. Not I mean, it's that. not it's not that. Im- important but it is it adds a little bit of extra it's fun that it exists i kind of went back yeah i was like where was that anyway it's like oh that's how that it's a little it's a complicated building no one understands it but um i want to put in a a bid for the uh the these covers i mean it's a lot there's often a lot to uh, complain about with covers and they're so simple and beautiful and evocative and they work well as a series at least the u.s editions and um so bravo cover designers and people involved with that nice yeah, they are very they're very good looking and they, they look of a piece, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, they, it's a really nice well produced. I read them in ebook and I still felt like they did a nice job. Yeah. Once the third one comes out in paperback, I think I'm going to get all three mm. of them in mm. physical form. Um nice. can we talk about how Orion has one personality trait and that is killing things? Like that is <laughs> his entire his entire personality. And like once you read you know, you get through the third book, you understand why, mm-hmm. but it's like you're hyper focused. Let's let's can we broaden your interests a little bit? I mean, it, it it's like you you think briefly that his interests have broadened because you know for the same reason that all of his his friends do. They're super super excited about L because oh my god, Orion's interested in something other than killing Mel's. But then later you find out it's just a different kind of hunger. Like he is yeah. hungry for connection in the same way that he's hungry for you know magical energy. So I mean, it's is there anybody else in the entire world that he could possibly have actually fallen for? Well, technically, no. So maybe it's not the sweetest love story in the world. But in another way, it kind of is because there's technically nobody else in the rest of the world that he could have actually fallen for. But yeah, that doesn't that a, a personality that does not make it's true. I also want to mention that Elle's communication style is very sarcastic and that really resonates with me and my soul. <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> you don't say. I'm shocked. All uh, right. All right. Let us, uh, everybody, uh, go read these books. They're really great. How about that? Yes. Um, yep. Let's move on. And uh, before we go, we're going to talk about some other books. I like to go around and uh, get some recommendations of recently read books that we think that you might like. In addition to reading all of these books, uh, Aline, do you have any recently read books you'd like to recommend? I do. Um, So start with Kate Quinn's short story, Signal Moon. It is a, um, so it's like Bletchley Park, you know, code breaking setting. But um, there's some time travel-ish elements involved in it. 
Um, if you like that, I cried. I read it, ended up sobbing at the end of it, immediately went and bought the audiobook version, <laughs> listened to it, sobbed at the end. I I just it was it was so good. I, I really, really loved it. I loved the writing style, I like the setting, I like the characters. If you like that, read her book The Rose Code, which is the same setting. No science fiction elements, but her character building and her world building are really good. And I really, really loved both of those. I'm going to try to read more of her stuff soon. Um, I am on a major T. Kingfisher tear. Nice. Um, I have read all of the books in The World of the White Rat. So there are series within the setting, but there's currently... A plan for like seven books dealing with a group of paladins whose god had died and it it leaves them absolutely just wrenched and hollow. And it's all about how they recover from that. Um, there is a, a duology that kind of sets sets everything up. And then there is a trilogy in progress. There's only one book out called Sword Heart, and it is my favorite in the world of the White Rat. These books are not for you if sexually explicit stuff is not for you, but if you're okay with that, they're so good. And Sword Heart specifically has uh, a trio, well, four, four characters who um, travel to a destination together, and I just loved them all so much. I loved them together. I loved their interactions. Um, I, I won't talk more, but um, it it just it it cracked me up, and I, I really liked it. And then Nettle and Bone um, is also like a fantasy, not in the world of the Right Rat, but like a fantasy book, um, and it's got kind of like a. a a witch, some witchcraft, a magical quest to save someone. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And then another book I really liked was by someone named Dan Morin, The Nova Incident. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, I know. Um, if There's I didn't another like Dan it. Morin. What? <laughs> oh my goodness, he wrote a book with the same title. What a jerk. <laughs> I always I always feel weird talking about like recommending books my friends wrote, but if I didn't like the book, I just wouldn't talk about it. So, I really <laughs> Dan, I loved your book. Um okay. I wouldn't talk about it if I didn't. So, The Nova Incident is really good. The whole your whole series is really really good. So, if you're an incomparable yeah. listener and you haven't read any of Dan's books yet, I highly recommend them and I do think the Nova incident is the best one so far. So um, fingers crossed that you write See? more for me specifically if you don't write them <laughs> yeah, for anyone else. Just for you. You're just improving you. Dan. Custom. Good, good job. Bespoke, <laughs> bespoke books. All right, one thank, true fan. Thank you. Makes it work. Glenn, do you have any uh, recent recommendations? I, I do. I was going to I was going to be a jerk and re reference the 1941 book I was reading, an autobiography of Moses Koenigsberg, the founder of the King Feature Syndicate, which is a really weird read, but it came in handy on a recent episode of Random Pursuit. So I'll, I'll just mention that in passing. But um, I'm going to mention a friend's book that I read this last year that's a very disturbing and good novel called uh, Housebreaking by my friend Colleen Hubbard. Uh, it's, it's short. It's a good, quick read. And it's about a woman who goes back home uh, because she's sort of managed to inherit a house from her parents with whom she's had issues. And it's not a spoiler to say she decides to tear the entire house down by herself like brick by brick. And it's called Housebreaking, and it is really like unsentimental in this incredibly wonderful way. So it's it's good. It's 
short and um, really, I really hit me. Um, but I also, and I read uh, Piranese recently, <clears throat> which uh, we talked about on many of these same people on Incomparable episode 585, mm-hmm. Erica, uh, Aileen, and Jason, plus Scott McNulty. Um, and thank you for that recommendation. That was a beautiful read. I've been reading a lot less during uh, the pandemic era, so I need to get back up to my old speed. Um, I did read Stephen King's fairy tale, which I don't think we've talked about anything yet. And uh, I'm not sure I recommend it, but it was fascinating to see him turn his hand to very well covered territory. And I, I don't know if it was a success. Um, I did enjoy reading it. I found it satisfying, but I, I thought there were a lot of problems in the nature that it felt like he hadn't, uh, he hadn't read as widely in the field that he was diving into. And so it felt like a lot of tropes were things that he thought were fresh and were really well covered, but he's also a fabulous writer. So him writing about it didn't necessarily make those feel um, old and stale. So anyway, it's a weird book. Um, and I have, I have mixed feelings about it, but but a good read, I guess, overall. Oh, maybe somebody else will recommend it later. Who knows? Oh, uh, Erica? Mm. <laughs> well, it won't be me. Haven't read it yet. Um uh. I, I'm going to recommend a book by a friend as well. Uh, Melissa F. Olson is a writer of, well, a, a bunch of things, but uh, her urban fantasy is one of the things she's the best known for. And I recently picked up the first book in her Scarlet Bernard series. It's called Dead Spots. And I always enjoy an interesting, like, uh, world building premise in terms of urban fantasy. And this is that there are there are vampires, there are werewolves, like, you know, there are witches. Uh, those are sort of the big three. And it, society does not know about them. They keep it on the DL. Uh, but each city has uh, is sort of ruled by tep- typically one of these factions. Uh, but L.A. is different because it's kind of it's kind of a podunk town in terms of of magic. <laughs> Nobody really wants to live there. Like it's not close enough to the woods for for the werewolves. And there's a lot of sun for the vampires. And so uh it's one of the only cities in the entire world where all three of these big factions sort of run it together. And uh, and they have a cleaner who will go and clean up things to make sure that the uh, the authorities, the, the human authorities don't find out about stuff. And that's Scarlet Bernard herself. And she is, and this is the, the, the thing that really drew me in, she is what's called a null. So anybody who comes within about 10 feet from her suddenly loses all of their magic, which is can't cast spells, vampires become alive again, werewolves turn back into humans if they were if they were wolves. And uh, I, I just thought that was a really fascinating concept. And then she's also an interesting character. She's, you know, she's got a, a kind of a crappy backstory and is dealing with some stuff and uh, is, is not living a particularly happy life. And things happen. Um, she ends up at this really grisly murder scene, but she's there too late to clean it up. And a human cop shows up and he sees her. And uh, and so it, it becomes this, you know, cop, not a cop <laughs> sort of oh story. Boy. Yeah. Um, and uh, like she, and she's really, really not a cop because much of her job is totally, totally illegal things. And uh, and there's a bit of a love triangle because the, the cop is is pretty cute. But there's also a really hot werewolf. Um, Typical. And, 
her roommate is a vampire <laughs> who specifically wants her to to live there because she got turned when she was only 17 years old uh, back in Ireland. And at the time, like in the 1700s, she was considered, you know, basically an adult at 17, but not so much now. So she wants to hang out uh, with Scarlett Bernard so that she can age up a bit <laughs> so that she can oh, actually wow. like. Yeah. So like there are all these little little places where the concepts are are really well thought out and well developed and uh, Melissa wrote this book when she was still living in LA at the time so it really feels like a, a real lived in LA um, and I also read the follow-up uh, there's there's it's a it's a trilogy I read the second one I'm about to dive into the third one I am quite enjoying it so if urban fantasy is your thing I recommend those nice. and the last thing I will mention is uh, is actually nonfiction which is wild for me. Um, but uh, one of the essays in a recent episode or episode issue of Uncanny Magazine uh, is uh, by Izzy Wasserstein, and it's called The Necessity of Trans Joy. And it is a delightful essay that both talks about and recommends a bunch of uh, examples of why it's important for, uh, and this is specifically writing about trans people, but just uh, about any sort of, you know, culture that is that is pressed down any type of, of people who are um, on the outs with, uh, with the larger pieces of society, uh, why it's important to write stories that are joyful. And, you know, I, I appreciate the stories that are wrestling with the difficulties of being trans in a society that really is is not particularly friendly to trans people. And same thing with, with people of color. Um, but I also really like reading stories that just make me happy. I love escapism literature. And this is a lovely essay that sort of gives you a bunch of examples of stories and books and stuff that you can read that will give you um, some lovely trans joy. And also it is in itself an argument that there needs to be a lot of that we don't have to do. <laughs> they don't have to do all of the uh, all of the heavy lifting in terms of just you know making this a very special episode of you know novel A, novel B, novel C, etc. So, I recommend checking that out. All right, Dan. I am reading exceptionally slowly these days. Yeah, uh, I've for reasons. Working, huh, I'm working one small I've been reason. Reading, uh, what yeah. is the reason? Uh, I've been reading Blitz by Daniel O'Malley for like the last six weeks, uh, which I love. I think it's great. I love. We talked about the Rook, uh, which I is one of my favorite mm. books of the last decade or so. Was it? Did it come out this decade? Someone. What is time? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, I I really enjoy. I'm glad that he is revisiting this world of the Czechy. It's great, and I just I I know Jason and I talked about this a little bit. The book has a lot of digressions, but you know what? It's such an enjoyable world that I'm totally willing to give him a pass on all of it. It's also a weird book because like it, the first fifty percent of that book, and it's like literally at the fifty percent part, is like set up, and then the fifty it's the midway point, and it's like, oh no, this book just entirely shifted directions and is an entirely different story now, which is <laughs> fascinating. Um, but it's it's just a great like like the Scalaman series. It's a great read. It's very easy to read. It's very like conversational in many ways, and just sort of like fun. And it's very I love his sense of humor. It's weird. But he he's so good at like the non sequiturs and slight surrealities and just the tossed off like weird magic powers that people have never to get mm -hmm. mentioned again. He's so creative. I just I love reading it. Um, and then uh, I, well, I'll let you know if I once I'm like 85 percent of the way through. Oh, maybe <laughs> somebody else will hold it up. later. There you go. Uh, <laughs> 
doesn't look like anything to me. Um, the other two books I read um, recently, the second book in a series, this one's called Nightwatch over Windscar. Um, the first one was called uh, Nightwatch on the Hinterlands. They're by Kay Eason, E-A-S-O-N. Um, I don't even know how to explain them. They're kind of magic sci-fi. I think I t- might have mentioned Nightwatch Night on the Hinterlands at some point because uh, I read it last year. Um, but they are... This set in this sort of like, you know, uh, somewhat desolate world that's had like there's incursions from like this, you know, void beyond which these monstrosities show up. Um, and it's about like the various um, alien species that have kind of banded together in a confederacy to stop these uh, monsters. Um, it also kind of has like a, a mystery vibe to it. So um, the first book is very much like a murder mystery set in a fantasy uh, science fiction world which sounds like just jamming all the stuff together but it kind of works um it reminds me in some ways a little bit of mass effect to the video game series it has kind of a vibe that um for some reason always makes me think of that um the second book's pretty good too it like the first big chunk of it is kind of almost a dungeon crawl um where they're like working their way through these like catacombs and it's just um I don't know. It's 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 a it's a fun, interesting book. I liked it a lot. Uh, it's a great world and a great setting. So I highly recommend that. And then the second one is um, Robert Jackson Bennett. We've talked about the Divine Cities oh, yeah. series, but his series um, Foundryside, the Founders trilogy, um, which starts with Foundryside. And then I've totally blanked what the second one's called, but the third one came out, which is called Locklands. I loved the first book in this series. I thought it was amazing. It was one of my very few five-star ratings. Um, The second book, it kind of lost me a little bit. And I I sort of was like, I don't know if this series is for me. But I was like, well, I'm going to stick it out. Uh, I read the third book. The third book is just, it kind of reminds me of the Golden Enclaves. It is just an incredible like dissection of the entire world that has been set up to this point. And it is times at times kind of brutal and unflinching in the lives of these characters and things that happen to them, but like in ways that get you like emotional and, and sort of torn up about like how this, this world is going. Um, but it's great. It's really good. Uh, so yeah, I, again, that the middle of that trilogy took a little bit of a dip for me, but I think Locklands is, is truly a phenomenal piece of work and it's not an easy read necessarily, but it is gripping and just like, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just so, it's so good. Um, so I, I would recommend both of those, those series. They're, uh, they're a lot of fun and then I'll throw in just for kicks. Um, Ben shot, who is a uh, wrote a book at one point called shots, original miscellany that I read years and years ago. He has also somehow gotten into writing, um, picking up PG Woodhouse's mantle. And he's written two, uh, mm. uh, Bertie Wooster and Jeeves books that have a very light sort of like spy plot to them almost, but he's done a great job of channeling like, uh, you know, PG Woodhouse. I'm a huge fan of his. My grandfather was a huge fan of his. I inherited his entire book collection. Of him. I would not have thought anybody could necessarily do a great job of imitating him. But um, Ben Schott does a pretty solid, solid job. So uh, I just read the most recent one of those, which is called Jeeves and the King of Clubs. Um, so, yeah, those are uh, both a lot of fun. I would uh, recommend those if you enjoy sort of that that style of comedic um <laughs> i don't even know what to call it just sort of bumbling <laughs> it's an it's an entertaining read 
comedic bumbling. Comedic a, bumbling. A well-known <laughs> genre, the comedic mm-hmm. bumble. <laughs> uh, I have three that I'm going to recommend mostly because two of my, my two recommendations were both mentioned before. Oh, what? Blitz by Daniel O'Malley. I've read a hundred percent of it. Um, <laughs> I have advantage because I had a long plane f- ride and no baby. So, uh, <laughs> it is, yes, the world of the Rook is so rich. I, I, when we talked about it, I think I likened it at several points to the X-Men just in the sense that it's like, everybody's mm-hmm. got weird powers and they're like, they come out of nowhere and then you have to deal with them. Um, and yeah, Daniel O'Malley is so good at inventing it, extraordinarily strange almost baroque <laughs> kinds of powers that em- emerge um it is a, it is a wild book it is very long i loved it all but i i want to say that probably his editor should have said daniel these long digressions that don't go anywhere in terms of the plot of the story let's take them out and maybe put them in like a another book we could sell and make more money instead of having them di- divert from this book because they're great, but they have nothing to do with it. And I really enjoyed them because it's like, you, you, I mean, there's literally a point where there's a digression. And then within that digression, there's then another digression. And you're like, what are we even doing here? Um, but the digressions are so good. Kind of like Neil Stevenson at his best, right? Where it's sort of like, I don't know where this is going, but it's certainly entertaining. That kind of thing. Um, I loved it. It's also told in two time frames, which is intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um high high level of difficulty right so digressions multiple time frames unclear how the time frames link together it, there are it's like 75 percent of the way through the book before you figure you yeah there's almost nothing in common between them and if i'm being honest when you make the link between the two fr- time frames you're like eh, okay yeah all right it's <laughs> kind of not that important i mean you could literally have told two books two books and, and, yeah. and then the second book you'd be like oh this is the story from the first book i, I feel it, like danielle malley's writing two books one with each hand and it's just like yeah. alternating <laughs> chapters yeah it's literally like two books like, and, antho- and an anthology all jammed together in one book wow. but you know what yeah. it's all good it's, it's good. all good yeah. and after i love the rook so much and i like stiletto the second book in the series fine um, yep. with Blitz, I was like, oh, don't, you know, they, they did the, the TV show that was a disappointment. And I'm like, don't blow it. Don't blow it. Don't make me sad about the Rook. And I'm not sad about it. Blitz was great. It was a huge, a great ride. I loved it. I, he, he apparently has quit his job now. I guess that TV money allowed him to quit his job and he can write like full time. He something? was, he was like a yeah. spokesperson for in a Australia? government ministry in Australia. Huh. So yeah. hopefully now he has time to write more of these bizarre books because, uh, it's great, but it is super, discursive and just be warned that you, you when you get to that chapter and you're like this appears to be a letter written by one of our characters that can't be sent and tells her entire backstory and the answer is yep that's what it is but you know enjoy it it's a great backstory and uh it's here uh anyway blitz it's good um uh i am not torn like glenn i think fairy tale by stephen king is great i loved it it's one of the best books i've read this year it mm. is the lyrical, mythical Stephen King of uh, of the Dark Tower, but also of eleven twenty two sixty three. Um, that kind of like it's it's meta, like the Dark Tower too. It is about storytelling. It is about fairy tales. It is a story about a kid who goes through a magic portal to another world and has to sit, you know, become the savior of the world and become legendary. But the point is that the story knows that that's what it is all the way along. And Stephen King, as Glenn said, he's such a good writer. He's got such a clear voice. I will say, like Blitz. <laughs> You could say as his editor, why are you spending half the book 
essentially with all the characters who are on earth before going through the portal yeah. if your story is about the portal and the answer my answer would be the story is not just about the portal it is about the kid and the old man who is the kind of prior guardian of the portal and their relationship and like in some ways, that was my favorite part is before they go in the portal, which is quite a trick. But I could see how the argument would be, I just want to get to the fireworks factory. I get it, but I thought it was beautiful. And uh, just this is the this is the kind of Stephen King that I love is is where he is. He is like late here in his career. He is telling stories about storytelling. He really is. Um, he's mm. thought a lot about it. <laughs> and there's just a lot in there. Would you recommend it for people who don't like Stephen King? What I would say is Stephen King's output is so widely varied that I don't like Stephen King doesn't tell me enough. If you've tried his fantasy mythological kind of stuff and not liked it, then it's not for you, I think. But if what you've done has been turned off by his horror books, um, I would say give it a try because it's, it's a very different kind of style. Okay, because I really I loved eleven twenty two sixty three. Have bounced off of like Salem's Lot. Yeah, no, this uh, is the stand. I, I, like as, as I was reading it, I was thinking this is the king of eleven twenty two sixty three, where he okay. takes a very standard story, which is going back in time to stop the Kennedy assassination, or in this case, you know, portal fantasy, go save the save the fantasy world behind the portal, and. He knows that that's the story, but he's using it to tell other things that are much more kind of melancholy about, you know, what people are going to be in life. And and, the, you know, the sort of sad story of the the people who've lost who he knows who are older than him. And like it, it is a, a very adult uh, in, in the sense of like having like kind of deep feelings and, and also nostalgia about simple fairy tales. But how wor- the life is life is much more complex than that. I thought it was really great. I was. I, I realize as you describe it, there's one. There's one. Uh, it's not a spoiler, but it's like it's like Lord of the Rings. If Sauron won very slowly, but there was another place people could come from to sort of help with the situation. But yeah, I I agree with you. The first half it. of the book is incredible. I mean, that's you know, it's like Ray Bradbury in Americana. It's like right. The first half is like it's oh my god, it's such a sweet, a grumpy beautiful old, story. A grumpy old man who ha- who has to be taken care of by a by a kid. And it's the grumpy great. old man happens to be the person who's got a portal in his backyard. Yeah. But it's yeah. beside the point for a long period of the book. And it's and it's great. Uh, I will throw out another recommendation, which is A Gathering of Shadows by V.E. Schwab. That is the second mm-hmm. book in that uh, that series about the three Londons, the white, white red, and gray yeah. London. Um, I just read that, having already read the first book in that series uh, a little while ago, Darker Shade of Magic. It's a good series. It is. It is. Um, it, it's a great kind of like magical setting. Uh, some real two really interesting lead characters, and the first book. The first book is like, okay, it's a person from our world and a person from this magic world. And then there's a whole plot about like the royal family and are they going to be overthrown by the other worlds and all of that. The second book is a lot of that for half of it. But the other half of the story is sort of like magic pirates. Um, Yeah. yeah. It's great. (laughs) It's great. And I'm looking forward to the third book of that series because it's uh, It's a good, that's, that's all good. Which is out. I just haven't read it. Yeah. 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 It's good. Good series. Well, that's it. A lot of recommendations. A lot of talk about a great uh, trilogy. 
Uh, one last thing to do, which is part of my my vow of doing more book club episodes this year. One of those things is we're going to let you know in the show notes and in the episode what our next book is. Not all of us will necessarily read it, but other people might. We'll come in, we'll do it. But I want this to be like a proper book club where we do more uh, do more episodes where we read books. Like, because books are good, right? Books so, are good. Oh, books are, yeah, books are good. A pro okay. book, real pro book crowd I, here, kind of. I think <laughs> books are okay. So books are okay. We, our, our assignment for those who wish to take it, and it's not mandatory, is we're going to read uh, Babel, or the necessity of violence and arcane history of the Oxford translators, Re- uh, Oxford translators revolution. Ooh, intriguing. Um, by R.F. Quang. So Babel is our next book club selection, and we will probably talk about that in February of 2023. So uh, mark your calendars or something. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this episode. <laughs> I would like to thank my panelists for being here. Aline Sims, thank you. It's so good to podcast again. Yay. Hooray. Glenn Fleischman, thank you. I appreciate, thank you. And I appreciate that I didn't irritate everyone by having crazy ideas. So thank you for accepting. <laughs> Not this time. For, for once. This time. For once. This time. Once. For once. Eric Ensign, thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, it being as cold as it is in Edmonton over this week, I do feel kind of like I know what it's like to live in a room with a void just on one side <laughs> you gotta wear you gotta have like a blanket or a snuggie or something because it's cold yeah, several cold and, cold. and dan morin thank you i'm just glad we all banded together to get out of the podcast and no one died <sighs> that's right but there's a plot twist coming in book two or is there? anyway thank you to everybody out there for listening to this episode of the incomparable we will see you next time 